What sort of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? Let's say it together. One who is truly human and also truly God. So the follow up question to this. Why? The first part, he must be truly human. Why is the question 22 asks. Why must the redeemer be truly human? Let me read it to you. That in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin and also that he might sympathize with our weaknesses. And really the main point, bolded in yellow here, for the little ones to memorize, that in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin. So we looked at this last week too when we introduced the question that we just memorized. So let's just go a little deeper. Let's go a little farther. Let me begin by reading to you Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. This is a key verse to understanding this truth. Hebrews 2, 17. This is talking about our Redeemer. says this, Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Let me read you that verse one more time. Let's think about what it says. Therefore, he that is our redeemer, that is Jesus, he had to be made like his brothers. That's you and me. Jesus is called our elder brother. He had to. So not he was made like us as if it was optional. He had to be made like us. It was essential that the Redeemer be made like us. In other words, it was essential that the Redeemer be made truly human. Hebrews 2 says in every respect. So he had to have a human nature. He had to be a human being. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? Hebrews 2, 17. So that. So that. That means a reason is coming up. He had to be made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful. What does it say next? High priest. High priest. Now that's looking back to the Old Testament. That's looking back to the office of the priesthood in the Old Testament. By the way, this is what the entire book of Hebrews is really doing. Hebrews is taking Hebrews, taking the Jewish people back to their Old Testament that they knew and believed. It is taking them back to the Old Testament and the offices, and the laws, and the ceremonies, and the sacrifices, and the regulations. And it is telling the Hebrews how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. That's what the book of Hebrews is doing. So Hebrews 2.17, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation For the sins of the people. So Jesus had to be made just like us so that he could be a high priest. Not just a high priest, but the high priest. 
the ultimate high priest. Okay, so what was the role? This is what Hebrews is expounding. What was the role of the high priest in the Old Testament? And basically it was this. The high priest was the mediator between man and God. Specifically, the high priest was the mediator from the sinful people to God. If the high priest happened to also be a prophet and could speak the word of God, then he would be a mediator from God also to the people. But mainly, the role of the high priest was to represent all of God's sinful people, was to represent them and to go to God on behalf of them, to pray for them, to offer sacrifices, to offer sacrifices on behalf of God's people. And he would offer those sacrifices to propitiate God's wrath. Which basically means to satisfy God's wrath. To turn away God's wrath. So the high priest initiated and oversaw the sacrifices. So the idea is that, and there was one very special day of the year called the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, I'm, I'm heard, sure you've heard, this was a very special sacrifice that was meant to, meant to atone for the sins of the people so that they could have, they could be at one minute, so that they could have a relationship and relate to God. And so on one day of the year, he would offer this very special sacrifice. And the high priest was the only one who could do it. If anyone else went into the inner room of the sanctuary to offer that sacrifice, other than the high priest, they'd they would die. They'd be killed instantly. No one else was authorized except the high priest. And he would go in and initiate and oversee the sacrifice. And the idea is that God would come down in judgment and the high priest would stand between God and man. He would stand between God and man with sacrifices to temporarily satisfy God's justice. So Jesus had to be made like us in every respect so that he could lay himself on that altar. So that he could sacrifice himself. So that his blood could be shed. Much, much greater than a lamb or a spotless animal was Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Uh, Tabidi, and, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Does anybody know how to pronounce his name? I've heard it before and I, I, I forget it. What is it? There it is. Okay. He's one of the commentators. And he says this. We human people are so fallen. And we've been so fallen for so long. That we actually think. That we are the measure of what it means to be human. It's striking. We say things like to err is human. Right? Or, or, or I don't say that. But, but if we make a mistake or someone makes a mistake, they might say, hey, what do you expect? I'm only, I'm only human. He makes a good point here. We unwittingly then begin to define humanity in terms of that fallenness. But think about humanity created by God before the fall. In terms of its, its incompleteness, its fallenness, its brokenness. But if you define humanity like that, 
what do you do with Jesus? Because Jesus became a human being, but he wasn't fallen. What do you do with Jesus who takes up upon himself our humanity, yet as the Bible tells us is without sin, does not sin. What we see in Jesus is true humanity or pure humanity or perfect humanity, unblemished humanity. What we see in his, not not our life, right? What we see in his incarnation, his earthly life and ministry is what humanity was meant to be. What God created what, what Adam was created to be, but ruined in his sin. So as Romans 5 teaches us, the first man, Adam, he's the first man, he sins. And through his sin, death enters the world. But here comes a second Adam, Christ, who is truly man. What Christ does in his humanity is nothing short of remarkable. In his humanity... He offers to God everything that we owe to God in his humanity, in his perfect obedience to God's commands. He offers to God the obedience that we refuse to give him and could not give him because of our fallen, sinful nature. And he wraps up by saying this. And so in order to be for us a perfect high priest. In order to be for us a perfect offering, Jesus had to be one with us. He had to take upon himself our nature and in that nature demonstrate what humanity is, what it was meant to be. And he also demonstrates what humanity owes. If We want to know what we owe. If we want to know the price that we should have to pay for our sin, that's demonstrated by Jesus. When he pays the penalty on Calvary's cross for our sin. And so, to be that high priest, a perfect high priest, that mediator between us and God, who also now sympathizes with us, knows our suffering, knows our failures, knows our troubles, and knows them intimately because he experienced them in our flesh, he can, he alone, can look to humanity with sympathy and represent humanity to God with perfection. And so, it was necessary. The Redeemer must be truly human. Okay. Let's recite this together. And then I'll close in prayer. Question 22. Why must the Redeemer be truly human? That in human nature, He might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin and also that He might sympathize with our weaknesses. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you've, you've made a perfect way to rescue us. The only way to rescue us. By sending your son Jesus to be a human like us, but also unlike us. And so he's able as the perfect man to have experienced and now 
know what it is that we endure and what it is that we go through. And he can sympathize with us. He can mourn with us. He can rejoice with us. He can pray for us. He can defend us. He can protect us. He can advocate for us because he knows what it is like to be us. But really more importantly, God, and more significantly, we thank you for sending your son to become a man that he could do what we cannot do. That he could live perfectly as an example to us and then that he would be perfectly willing to substitute himself, to sacrifice himself, to be that lamb on the altar and on the cross, that altar to have his blood shed, to have his life taken, to endure the punishment and wrath from you that we deserve so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to you. He is our redeemer. We are thankful for him, indebted to him. He's worthy of all praise, honor and glory. And we pray in his name. Amen.